episode of the Dior Card Seat, we have Magenta, CEO of Bloom Network and also a member of Dior. Magenta describes Bloom as a hybrid between real life and online social network. It starts on the ground with collectives working on regenerative and climate actions, and Bloom aims at bringing them to organize themselves as DAOs and manage their treasuries. This is the DAO framework side of it, and the social network comes into play by enabling knowledge sharing between these geographically separate communities that share similar goals. An interesting point is the tension between Web3 having a really difficult UX and a very steep learning curve with the belief that it can truly empower underserved communities to organize themselves financially. Those communities are often not very technologically savvy, and in the hot seat there are questions about the tech stack that highlight these challenges. But my favorite insights of this episode have to do with the practicalities of legal forms that DAOs can take, and Magenta explains both the tokenomics and the legal structure of their federated DAO model. I'm not going to spoil anymore. Let's go ahead with Magenta from Bloom Network. So Bloom, we're a social network, but it's like on the ground, it's like an IRL social network and a hybrid with an online social network. The core of what we do, I'll start with what's happening on the ground, because I think that gives you a better context. So we have local chapters all over the world who are doing regenerative actions. So basically, they're sort of like regional climate coalitions that we are in the process of teaching them how to use DAOs and collectively manage their own treasuries. They're largely grassroots. They're organized naturally in a decentralized and collaborative way. And this is not only Bloom, this is a lot of the climate action work happening around the world out of survival necessity. So these groups, most commonly they do local food sovereignty. So they teach people how to repair their soils and restore microclimates while producing their own healthy, fresh food. Um, they'll also often form cooperatives for this so that they have some cash export crops, but also help each other be healthier as a community, prevent uh, flood damage by increasing the capacity of the soil to absorb water. And in cases of drought, they're kind of reversing that process or reversing deforestation by planting. There's this method called agroforestry for that. Anyway, some of them have their own regional token economies, like the one in Brazil, and some of them produce like 10,000 person events and build market coalitions uh, to advocate for local food advocacy and other kinds of social entrepreneurship. So that's what's happening on the ground. We've been around since 2008. There's uh, about 30,000 people interacting on the ground. Uh, we have 22 local chapters in, I think, 10 or 11 different countries right now. And we still haven't put the call out like, hey, we exist, come find us. So I don't even know how people find us. But we initially formed through a social network that the former parent company just one day took down. <laughs> so we were talking about all of our insights through like psychedelics and Occupy at the time and Arab Spring and all these things. And we're like, this is going to get worse. And we're having these amazing discussions online about like experiences and visions we're having about how society can be different. So let's get together in person, build local meetups and uh, skill shares and train each other to do this. So we've been doing that and we've needed the social network the whole time. So thanks to Gitcoin, we have that now. So uh, yeah, on the site, you can find templates. So like how to start a crop swap. And so some of these projects take like 10 years to develop lots of trial and error. And so the point is to like help people do climate adaptation much more quickly by peer-to-peer -peer learning internationally. And here's like a gray water filter so that uh, chemicals from your sink don't run off into the waterway. Um, there's all kinds of cool shit here. And you can find 
is there a bloom in your area? Here are the cities where there are local blooms. And just now I've finished this feature. So you can click in and see the local bloom, any open roles they have, what they're doing, projects you can support. These link off to Giveth actually, and then their local blog feed. You can make a profile. We'll connect with the, this with Ceramic so that their portable profiles pegged to your um, wallet. And then you can write a blog. I can post an action. So this is the action I did. It gave, you know, XYZ impacts. This is how many people participated. And at the end of the year, we allocate a percentage of the cooperative profits to the individuals and also their local bloom. They get like a 1.2x multiplier. Their local bloom gets the same reward. And so proportionally, as the cooperative becomes profitable, we have a bunch of different revenue streams that will go directly into people doing the regenerative actions on the ground. And then that also corresponds to their governance power in their local DAO. This is kind of the next phase of things is setting up how all that DAO infrastructure operates. And hopefully the tooling is there to do what we want to do. Um, I'm a little bit skeptical that it's all going to be there just yet. But yeah, so people will, their governance power will be pegged to the amount of regenerative actions they've done and our token flow that we issue for those regenerative actions. So instead of like money-based token voting, it's like, a reasonable measure of your contributions on the ground and also your knowledge of what's happening so that you can make informed decisions about where to allocate capital. So for like stipends for local organizers or a specific project, et cetera. Oh yeah, and there's a pretty dashboard. We try to make the design all like feminine and like a comfortable place to be together. We'll have a chat, et cetera. And yeah, there's a bunch of other resources. We have a white paper on our regenerative economic protocol, all that kind of stuff. So I'm gonna stop there. Happy to take questions. Oh yeah, PS, it's a federated DAO. So we're in the process of working with Jason Wiener Legal, the foremost experts on like DAOs and cooperatives out of Colorado. And so each local bloom is its own DAO. Collectively, they make up, or we're in the process of forming this entity, a federated DAO. So they each are a member and have voting rights to like what gets developed on this platform, what collective resources go to. And then collectively, we'll have like a payment splitter so that when protocols or NFT groups that want to give like a percentage of their profits into impact work, they can just drip it into that and it'll automatically distribute proportionally to like the regenerative actions happening on the ground. So that's our system for like really quickly allocating as much capital as possible into this work that's like horribly underfunded. So that's why we came to Web3. And also the UX is broken. It's part of the reason I came to Dorg was to like help work on making the UX better. So these like very non-technical people can use it. Yeah, I'll stop there. Wow, that was a that was a very quick rundown of everything. Thank you so much for this presentation. Now you are going to put on the hot seats here in Dorg, and we are going to ask the hard questions. So builders of Dioric, go to the general channel and write your questions over there. I am going to start. You guys are doing a federated DAO. What is missing in the current DAO tooling suite of options to turn DAOs into a viable option for grassroots collectives? We haven't 100% started the investigation into that in detail. One thing that might be missing specific to federated DAOs is automatically understanding which DAO they are a part of, which local DAO to, so we're using like unlock for a recurring like monthly membership fee, which you can pay for in crypto. 
And it gives you an NFT. And I think we can make like a metadata entry into that with what their local Bloom is. So they're automatically there, um, belong to their local DAO, uh, ideally like in DAO house with a Moloch DAO. I don't know if that tech is there yet. The tooling's like just ready enough in terms of it being awkward. We're going to need to start with the basics. Like here's a webinar of how to make, how to set up uh, your wallet and kind of introduce stuff to people really slowly. Like when you have money available, then you can, yeah, here's incentive for you to learn how to use your wallet. And so training is the big missing gap actually, more than the tooling, minus those like couple concerns I have, because there a lot of the training that's online for videos is mostly white men talking extremely quickly and assuming a bunch of technical knowledge that very extremely non-technical people who are like farmers in the field and stuff have like fundamentally like no exposure to a lot of the vocabulary they're using and stuff. So we're going to have to make our training from scratch. And I think that's a gap for a lot of people in the ecosystem too. People are kind of, which is fine. And it's like peer, it's better to do it peer to peer. So you, you know, if your community is like on board, someone holds their hand and does it with them. That's like actually much better anyway. And like local crypto parties to teach people in person, I think is good. But that training is like the biggest gap. I think like accessible simple stuff that explains to people why the tooling is awkward and how to get around it. So if the tooling is awkward and there's a lot of education, why is Web3 and why is blockchain a good option to coordinate globally all of these groups? One is purely financial backend coordination. It's really expensive and clunky to get money across international borders. That's the primary thing. The other thing about Web3 is I find DAOs are really good at teaching people how to manage collective treasuries. So you get out of this mindset of appealing to nonprofit philanthropic funders who are playing a different power game and are not interested in you having financial sovereignty, which is like the underlying problem of climate change that none of the dominant infrastructure will address, is capable of addressing. So that peer-to-peer financial infrastructure and market building is like Web3 is exactly what is needed for that to happen. Thank you very much. Uh, Ori from Diorg, go ahead with a question. Hey, Magenta. I have a quick question about Flow, the token you mentioned. So if I understand correctly, it's some, it's a sort of patronage token where people receive the token um, in proportion to the impact of the actions that they did. And it's not transferable, but it gives them a share of revenues on some frequency. Is that correct? And kind of, could you talk through that, like an example maybe of like an action that someone could do, like how the, the flow works and how other economics and governance play in? Yeah. Oh, that's an awesome question. Thanks, Ari. <laughs> I have not enough people in my life to talk to about this. <laughs> I'm like the Web3 person on our team um, so far. <laughs> um, so yes, that is correct at first anyway. Um, so say I um, do a beach cleanup, cleaning up plastic trash so it doesn't uh, kill fish. Uh, and I do, uh, say I do that for three hours. And at first, we're actually pegging flow just to hourly contributions. Um, you know, I'm sure there'll be some adjustment to that. So we don't pay people for really stupid stuff or something. 
and it'll be kind of manual at first. 30 flow an hour equivalent to sort of, you know, 30 USD an hour, at least in the abstract, just so people can like wrap their heads around it. And then say I do a total of 300 hours in a year and someone else does a total of 50 hours in a year. So at the end of the year, say we have, you know, first year, you know, 30 grand available to distribute, then proportionally, I will get um, a one-to-one correspondence of that, well, proportionally. So, you know, if based on how many total hours were done, I get my fraction of that. And then there's another uh, part of the equation, which is what the local bloom, so I'm part of a local bloom, it gets 1.2x. This other person who did, say, 50 hours in the year, they're not part of a local bloom, so they only get their direct rewards. I think over time, we'll want to figure out how to make it transferable, but keep people pegged to their DAOs. Maybe transfer, again, get their... There's a thing we want to figure out where you can actually trade it. So I could give my uh, 90 flow from that beach cleanup to a massage therapist for a massage. You know, we don't know what it's, the value of it's going to be at the end of the year, but I can get something that I really need that I wouldn't otherwise afford. And the massage therapist has spare capacity. So I have like a like whole matrix of those kinds of exchanges that are people have spare capacity in the network, but no cash. So I'm hoping that encourages a gift economy to kind of get around things, but how to technically configure that. Um, I have more questions. Right. So this is a little bit like what community currencies try to do as well, where you create abundance of this artificial thing that has some sort of value and it actually enhances and promotes exchange using the secondary means of exchange. That's that's really cool. Clara. Yeah, thank you, Magenta, for this presentation. I'm, I'm loving it. So basically, I wanted to ask you about, like, how do you navigate between, you know, like, between the different national legalities to give a legal entity or background to these communities and at the same time kind of like the build the federated um, DAO. I think it's something that you are figuring out currently, but if you could give us like some insight. Up. Yeah, so apparently members of a Colorado Limited Cooperative Association, which is the type of entity we're setting up, can be international. And I haven't dug into this in detail with the lawyers yet, but they said that the local chapters are not required to set up a legal entity, even if they're receiving funds from our crypto rewards and stuff, unless they are trading in their fiat currency. So they're like, you know, have to pay a venue rental in fiat currency or something. Because of the scarcity of fiat currency in our community, I would imagine the first few years it's going to be all crypto. And that's totally up to them to form a legal entity. We have nothing to do with that. The actual, we use a use of name contract as the only binding legal thread between us. So they use, you know, quote, the, the brand. And then they're responsible for their own legal entity. And then us distributing finances to them can be done down to doubt apparently without like legal repercussions. So I'm actually working with a co-CFO and we had an awesome session with Mackenzie, actually. She had some questions for how we actually do the accounting on the federated co-op side. So there's some open questions. Yeah, but that's a summary of where we're at so far. Does that mean that because it is sort of like a U.S. entity, you cannot really distribute funds to uh, organizations that are based in countries like Iran or other countries that are sanctioned by the U.S.? That's a fucking great question. Would love a report back from the team that worked on the Amnesty International project. I don't know. And I have not asked that question yet. And I will ask it soon. Thank you. 
All right. Any more questions for Magenta? Okay, Ori, go ahead. I have a question about the tech stack you're using. So you mentioned Unlock Protocol, which I think is a great example of a newer tool that's not really common yet in the DAO space, where you can like have recurring subscriptions and like a conditional NFT that gets revoked if you don't pay. So is there any other tools like that uh, or more widely used ones, perhaps safe, that you all are planning to kick off with? And how much are you building custom? Oh, yeah. So far as looking at third web for payment splitters, if you guys know of a better payment splitter option, that'd be great because we want to split, say, member revenue goes, say, 50% to their local Bloom, 50% to the platform development crew or something. Yeah, we're looking at Moloch DAO, though some of the groups are so IRL that I'm sure they'll need to use Gnosis Safe with like some trusted signers because, you know, they have dinner together every week and <laughs> it's more efficient for them to talk through in depth and person. So, uh, like I said, Ceramic, though I recently learned about some privacy concerns about Ceramic that I need to look into some more um, in terms of that profile so that we're basically talking with a bunch of Web3 crews who also have their own websites and we're have enough collaboration that people are likely to, you know, have a profile on both of those sites. So like, why make one twice? We're still figuring out which side chain to go on for unlike unlock protocol and the, um, you know, like the bucket for rewards and stuff. The non-Web3 tech stack is FeltKit, which does extremely fast content loading. That's about all I'm aware of so far. So it's mostly mostly the financial infrastructure and slowly teaching people how to make decisions together in collectives. Yeah, that makes total sense. In terms of the first component you mentioned with payment splitters, I know of three that are pretty battle-tested. One is uh, Open Zeppelin's payment splitter. I think it's called paymentsplitter.sol. It's like their standard for ERC-20 or ETH splitting. The most low-level, but there's a couple like higher-level primitives that are easier to use. Two I've uh, used in the past are uh, Radical, uh, oh, they yeah. made a product called Drips, so it's drips.network, and the payment splitter itself is an NFT, and there's a concept of like membership NFTs being this like current, you can do like recurring payments there, and then you can also do programmatic splits. Yeah, the other one is uh, 0x splits, that's 0xsplits.xyz. Again, it's like very simple, but they have like a GUI that makes it easier to launch one, configure it, edit it. And a, a third I just thought of is Superfluid is mainly known for their streaming product, but they also have something called an IDA, an instant distribution agreement, which is basically the same concept as the other two I just mentioned, where you can program in the weights that different addresses have, and then every token that comes into there will be split uh, according to the weights assigned. Amazing. Thank you. All right. We're heading to the last question from Andy. Yeah. Hi. How are you doing, Magenta? Um, Good. So I have a question about like, web accessibility. If that is a like something that like an awareness in uh, in your tech stack or like in your your development approach um, to the web app and like and just if you could talk about any steps you take there. Um. Yeah. Our. Uh... Cloud Architect and Lead Developer um, has been adamant the whole time about um, making things accessible to blind people um, so so screen readers can read what is there. 
Um, the other thing, a lot of our people are in South America and Africa, so they're mostly rural, smartphone only, that kind of thing. Um, so we've been building with being mindful of not making pages very data heavy, um, making sure they can load quickly. And then obviously um, implementing the Web3 infrastructure in ways that don't require them to use a, a MetaMask browser for the entire like content experience and stuff. Um, those are two things we thought of so far. Um, if there's anything else that you feel is important that we pay attention to, happy to. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, for projects I've been on where, where that's like, um, where accessibility is, is more of like a feature and not like a little tack on thing later. Yeah, something that I've used just, just like any kind of automated tooling in the, in like the PR kind of process is great so that people can't push up code that breaks at least like basic accessibility. Um, guidelines. So yeah, I think like there's Axe, there's, there's a bunch of tools that I mean, I'm sure you could find them quickly that that'll help the actual during the, the dev process. So you can't really introduce bad stuff. And then for the more complex stuff, it's more like you have to do it on a QA basis. There's no like automated way to do hundred percent accessibility, but cool. Yeah. I was just, just wondering how you approached it. And uh, thanks for, thanks for the answer. Oh, thank you. Extremely good insights on accessibility. And now, yes, now we're heading to the last question from Asgeir. Yeah, thanks. I was wondering about, you took that example where uh, people were uh, picking up uh, garbage on the beach. If they were part of a local thing, they got some reward. And if not, they got some reward from the central entity. Or if I understood correctly. And I'm wondering, like, how do you verify that they did what they said so that Anyone can't just come and say that, uh, yeah, I picked some trash and they didn't really do it. Oh, yeah. Good question. Yeah, people, um, their action won't post to the front end until a validator has looked at it. The approach we're looking at is having, and we need to do kind of a focused workshop on this as it's not implemented yet, is to have a regional validators or like two, you know, two, say two people from the local DAO that we do a vetting process with because these communities for the most part are like IRL peer to peer. They, they know each other, they do these projects together. Um, so it's fairly easy to vet, like, did this happen or not? One of our local blooms runs their own regional token economy and ran into problems with people gaming the system. At first they could see it, like it was really obvious, but then it started getting too, too much and they had to actually pause the system until they figured it out. And they've now stopped doing that and want to rely on us to do the validation. So it's not easy. We do have contact with a lot of people who have done this sort of payment for actions thing before. But yeah, we need to do a, a workshop on it. I think local validators is going to work pretty decently well. And over time, as we develop more intelligence of, you know, we want to incentivize this action more than others, we'll probably weight other actions more than others. I'll post a link to like the types of actions we want to incentivize, actually. But thank you. Cool. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Magenta, for this amazing presentation. There's uh, there's people typing. There's probably more questions, but I think we can take them on the text formats. So to summarize a little bit, Bloom Network is a social network, a mix between in real life and online, which is used for knowledge sharing to bootstrap regenerative practices all around the world and funding this impact work, and you organize as a federated DAO. 
While doing so, you have encountered problems with uh, accessibility, you have encountered problems around education around Web3, you have had to overcome some problems with people using those tools, but you're taking care the, to use a good tech stack that the, like Unlock Protocol and Ceramic, and always you have in consideration things like uh, how accessible is that going to be? You use uh, low data consumption. You are mobile first, so the under the underserved communities can also access it. And one of the things that you are going to focus now is in expanding. And all of this that you have managed is without even promoting it. So, wow. Uh, really good job, Magenta. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all of this with us. I hope this uh, was useful for you as well as it has been for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, you guys.